You're listening to Ghost Town. Welcome, welcome. Sunday's the day. Creepy Steve's the name. Hello. You know, we've got a packed show here today. I'm getting into some proto-punk here, and uh, it's serious business. So make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to WRFNLP Pasquo. And if you're streaming from afar, thank you kindly. All right, going to get right into it. Like I said, a packed show. Not a lot of time to waste. This first band is from the UK, but we're going to get into some American music here for a change on uh, Ghost Town. Don't want to exclude uh, this side of the pond, of course. All right, starting off, scoring some 23 UK Top 40 singles and 17 UK Top 40 albums to date in a career spanning four decades. This band is one of the longest surviving and most continuously successful bands to have originated in the UK punk scene. And they carried it on through and are still going today with some slight personnel changes. Ladies and gentlemen, The Stranglers.
74, but we didn't start recording until 77. But, but you started out as sort of like a, a punk band, they said uh, at one time, but uh, why do you feel funny about that? Um, well, because we were going in 74 before any of that ever started, mm. and uh, we were very aggressive in our stance because the music business then was like a, a very closed door, it's like steel gates, and you had to really hit your head against it to break the doors down mm. and get any sort of get any uh, uh, recording interest mm. in, in there at all. It's totally different now, of course. That's Hugh Cornwell, lead singer and guitar player for The Stranglers. Other members are drummer Jet Black, bass player Jean-Jacques Burnell, and prominent force of The Stranglers sound, Dave Greenfield on the synthesizers. You'll notice they'll uh, be heavily featured in uh, most of these tracks I'm playing today. Gonna get right on with it. This is The Stranglers. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Peaches.
Ooh. Boom, you're in Ghost Town. This is Creepy Steve listening to the Stranglers, spotlighting them for a few here. And uh, going to keep it going, a packed show today. From 1976, the Stranglers became associated with the burgeoning punk rock movement, due in part to their opening for the first British tours of American punks, the Ramones and Patti Smith. Notwithstanding this association, some of the movement's champions in the British musical press viewed the band with suspicion on account of their age and musical virtuosity and the intellectual bent of some of their lyrics. However, Burnell was quoted as saying, I thought of, no, I won't do that. I thought of myself as part of punk at the time because we were inhabiting the same flora and fauna. I would like to think the Stranglers were more punk plus than some. I do not disagree. Been playing you some tracks off their first record, Radis Norvegicus. I've got one more for you here. Get a grip on yourself.
Was the change in, uh, in, in the music of the Stranglers, was that a very intentional move? I mean, did you sit down and, and decide that you had to change, that or else you would be at risk of getting stuck in a rut? Not, we didn't decide we had to change, although, um, uh, I mean, change for change's sake is a bit of a, a bit negative, actually. But certainly we were aware that uh, we mustn't uh, repeat ourselves, certainly. When Golden Brown came out, that was the first hit you'd have for for a little while anyway. It had been quite a lean period by the Stranglers terms. They'd always had quite a lot of hit singles. But when Golden Brown came out, um, I think a lot of people were surprised when they heard, sort of heard it on the radio and then heard that it was the Stranglers at the end of it. Was, was that intentional? Well, I was surprised to hear it on the radio as well. It wasn't something that people, instantly, you know, record company people who, who one must assume don't know anything about music. But when we always work from that. And when something is not obvious to them, you know, they, um, they can't see its potential. So, uh, so eventually, people uh, kind of subvert them, convince them that something they should release. Something it, it, you know, it's like uh, throwing proverbial uh, mud at the wall. You know, sometimes it works, it sticks. And sometimes it
what about for the future? I mean, you know, we know you're off to America, what, uh, middle of April, will that be now? Yeah, it's three months. About a month. Yeah. How's it going over there? I know always the sun well, is now finally charging. Yeah, it's starting to, we're starting to do well there, you know, um, we'll see. Then, after that, maybe some new recording? Have you got any new stuff well, lined up yet, or has it I've got... been that busy over the last six months or so to think about that? Yeah, and frankly, I wouldn't want to think too much too far ahead because that kind of compromises you, doesn't it? You start making career moves and start doing things in the best interests, so-called, of, of your career and all that. And um, I think you lose some of the um, spontaneity, which has been uh, one of the features of Strangers. starting to sound kind of crappy yeah sorry that's a good song too okay had this issue last week there's a backup though I'm just gonna go ahead and cut that real low sounds like garbage you're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve I'm going to queue up this next spotlight here. We're having problems with CD2. Not a big deal. I came prepared with a little backup. 
All right. Da 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 dee. Moving right along with Creepy Steve. All right. We'll see if you can get stuff. Well, let me let me recap here real quick. We just finished a, a little Stranglers block. I hope you enjoyed them. They've they continued on well through the '80s, '90s. Uh, um, just trying to get caught up here. All right. Hugh left in 1990, so I wanted to touch on that. And uh, you know, I'm a little disoriented with the CD issue. I'll be honest. I'm just going to move right on in this next spotlight. Let's see if you can guess who this is from the interview. If not, I'll, uh, I'll catch you up to speed soon enough. Radio Free Nashville, Ghost Town. It's not the right one. <laughs> We're doing awesome. I'll get it soon enough, though. Just bear with me one second. And I'm just going to count out loud so we don't have dead air. One, two, count with me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Now I'm on point. All right, forgive me. Rolling with the punches, technical difficulties. Here they are. I'll announce them after if you can't figure it out. Did you grow up around fashion at all? No, not really. No. I grew up in uh, New Jersey, and I only became aware of fashion and designers uh, in high school. Rock singing, was that always an ambition of yours? I mean, was that a dream when you were a little girl that you wanted yeah. to? Yeah, yeah, I was always a singer, and I sang um, as a little girl. I sang in uh, church, and I sang at functions, and I sang in school, and then I just, you know, got into it. Do you play an instrument at all? No. No. You always wanted to be a rock star? Uh, well, I'm old enough to uh, honestly say that rock and roll wasn't a big thing when I was really young. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was influenced by uh, more, like, uh, pop pop singers. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? I mean, I've done a play in my life, and it's the most nerve-wracking experience, but just before you go on, is that one of the things as, as being a rock star? Uh, I used to get very nervous, um, but now I just get excited, and I try to concentrate I try to uh, I try to do what um, Muhammad Ali does in a way. <laughs> I, I set up my uh, concentration, and um, I try not to let anything get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. Can you guess who? All right, it's Blondie out of New York City.
You're listening to Blondie, an American rock band founded by singer Debbie Harry and guitarist Chris Stein, also with Gary Valentine, Clem Burke, and Jimmy Destry. Out of New York City, they were a pioneer in the early American new wave and punk scenes of the mid-late 70s. The first two albums contained strong elements of these genres, and although successful in the United Kingdom and Australia, Blondie was regarded as an underground band in the United States until the release of Parallel Lines in 1978. And that's pretty much what I'm going to play you today off of my two favorite albums. Uh, got so much to get through, so I've narrowed it down to Parallel Lines. Just going to jump right ahead into that one and uh, give you some favorites. Also, moving forward into the 1980 release, Auto American. Uh, but since uh, 1978, uh, over the next three years after that, they achieved several hit singles internationally including call me atomic and heart of glass and became noted for uh, the eclectic mix of musical styles incorporating elements of disco pop reggae and early rap music this is another one here off of parallel lines pretty baby uh as said by both stein and harry as being a nod to brooke shields back in the day a teen sensation. There seems to be a lot of confusion uh, amongst rock fans as to exactly what New Wave is all about. There's one certain form of New Wave coming out of the States and another form out of the UK. You know, what to you are the differences between the two? I think there's more influences in uh, the American New Wave. It's like an assimilation of the last 20 years of radio. Whereas the English New Wave, I think it's um, New York Dolls influenced. It seems like, you know, like the a lot of the New Wave label has been coined and interpreted through the Sex Pistols and there's a lot more bands than that 
uh, that have other songs that are, you know, not very interesting. Yeah. I think the uh, U.S. New Wave is more a musical reaction than a political or sociological reaction. I think the British New Wave is political. It all stands in the area you're in. Like New York City is basically a media center where everybody gets to uh, grab in everything they've heard in the past number of years, like Clemens said, you know, and radio for the last 20 years and everything and put it together and get their own mixture, you know, have a larger digestive system for it, you know, where in England it's just a reaction from uh, from the situation and the dull and everything they complain about, you know. You're listening to Blondie in their own words. Here's Pretty Baby from the LP Parallel Lines.
Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. You're tuned in, and thank you so much. No, that didn't sound sincere. Let me just try that again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ghost Town with me, Creepy Steve. You listen to Blondie. The actual term new wave has been bandied about a lot lately. A lot of bands have been put into that category, and I think to a certain extent the, the meaning of it is being lost. Like, how do you exactly define new wave? Well, I actually think it's just a bunch of new bands all coming out at once. You know, a lot of new blood. Yeah. People that weren't in the in the business before, most of them, and just coming out now and they're making an impact because it's all it's all uh, snowballing because it's more than one band. It's like, you know, a great amount of bands. Yeah. That's actually what New Wave is, just a whole bunch of new bands. I don't think there's any one set definition for it besides that. Any common denominator musically apart from the fact that they're all new bands? Just, no, not really. I'd say just a reaction against bands like Led Zeppelin and Rod Stewart, you know, aside Maybe's, from that, yeah. no other. Maybe a little bit simpler music, you know, less, uh, I don't know, there's sort of like cliche tricks that, that bands have used, you know, to uh, stimulate responses from audiences, you know, like hyped up guitar solos or drum solos, Explosions and, and, you know, yeah. and, and I don't, I see a lot less of that now. Heart of Glass was released in early 1979, and this disco-infused track topped the UK charts in February 1979 and the US charts in April of the same year. It was a reworking of a rock and reggae-influenced song that the group had performed since its formation in the mid-1970s. It was updated with strong elements of disco music. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, don't judge it till you, uh, till you hear this.
In November 1980, Blondie's fifth studio album, Auto American, was released, and it contained two more number one U.S. hits, the reggae-styled The Tide Is High. That was a cover version of a 1967 song by the Paragons, and also the rap-flavored Rapture, which was the first song... Listen to this carefully, folks. Rapture was the first song featuring rapping to reach number one in the U.S. Little old Deborah Harry, the rap sensation. And that was in 1980. In the song, Harry mentions the hip-hop and graffiti artist Fab Five Freddy, who also appears in the video for the song. Auto American featured a far wider stylistic range than the previous Blondie albums. And it went on to achieve platinum success in both the United States and the United Kingdom. I'm going to play you a few tracks, starting with uh, one of my favorites, Angels on the Balcony. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve.
That's Angels on the Balcony, Blondie from Auto American, their 1980 LP. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Uh, Going to hear a quick word from uh, Debbie on fashion from an, uh, an archived interview. And then we're going to get right back to Auto American with one of the dancier numbers. And uh, you'll just have to wait and see what that is. Surprise, surprise. When you first started performing, what kind of clothes did you used to wear? Um, when, when I first started performing in New York, in the stilettos, we wore um, all sorts of uh, campy clothes that we got in secondhand stores. And everything was uh, either as sexy as possible or as outrageous and funny as possible. And that was our whole, that was our whole... Can you uh, describe some of the funny ones? Like what kind of things would you show up in? Well, I would just... I mean, some people wouldn't think they were funny. Some people would think that they were campy, or some people would think that they were gauche, and some people would think that they were horrendous. But I used to just wear, like, uh, I try to find this, as many uh, disgusting pairs of spike heels with leopard spots and, and tight capri pants or pedal pushers with big plastic purses and, and drop earrings, you know. And Which just was look, very ahead of its time in those days, yeah. probably anyway, right? That was, yeah, in about 73. W-R-F-N-L-P. Pasquo.
Well, Blondie broke up after the release of its sixth studio album, The Hunter, in 1982. Wah, wah. You know, folks, stuff happens. But you didn't wait for it. Here's the good news. The band reformed in 1997, achieving renewed success in a number one single in the United Kingdom with Maria in 1999, exactly 20 years after their first UK number one single, Heart of Glass, which you heard previously. How about that? 20 years later, keeping it real. Uh, the group toured and performed throughout the world during the following years and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006. Blondie has sold 40 million records worldwide, and they're still active today. The band's, the band's ninth studio album, Panic of the Girls, was released in 2011, and their tenth, Ghosts of Download, released in 2014. Talk about a powerhouse. All right, the uh, aforementioned number, Rapture, is uh, what we're going to go out on with, with the Blondie. I've got a couple more artists to feature after this, so make sure you stay tuned to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Um, yeah, you're going to hear a little white girl blondie, little Deborah Harry rap on this next number. Remember, this went to number one and was the first uh, musical single featuring rap to, uh, to hit that number. Here you go. And then uh, continue on to uh, the next band, which you'll find out very soon. You're listening to Radio Free Nashville. What are your own personal feelings about um, the amount of publicity that Deborah is getting compared to the rest of the band? Like, it's almost become Deborah, Harry, and Blondie as far as the press is concerned. I'm, I'm a songwriter in the band. And I write a lot of stuff, and uh, we all make the same amount of bread and any means to an end. Yeah, well, obviously you all contribute, you know, equal amounts or whatever, yeah. right? But as far as the public image is concerned, Deborah's getting a really giant push at the moment. Oh, it's sort of obvious. It's like Mick Jagger or something. Sure, yeah. she's selling more records than even me or Chris would yeah. on T-shirts. WRFN LP Pasquo, Rapture, it's Blondie.
Wrapping up the Blondie set there. Hope you enjoyed. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. WRFN LP Pasquo. That's three times now, the legal idea. I think I nailed it. I think I nailed it. All right. Like I said, we got a packed show. I'm going to keep moving right along here, just changing stuff out. Going to get these guys lined up. I'm going to let you hear this little snippet from a documentary I borrowed. And uh, we'll get right into it with their own words. Here's some music from these guys. I'll give you a hint. They're out of New York City. We call 
themselves the New York Dolls, and they're a New York band. The lead singer was born and raised in Staten Island. The Dolls are one of a number of New York street bands, with names like the Street Punks, Queen Elizabeth. The music is rough, not polished. The lyrics are shouted, not sung. It's always belligerent, hostile, and definitely loud. The Dolls are a social phenomenon. In the city, they sell out wherever they play. They're in their late teens and early 20s, so is their audience. This is a new generation and a new music. Like the last wave of rock and roll was like, mostly it was in San Francisco. And it was, it had a, a definite um, purpose. I mean, the franchisement of, enfranchisement of certain people to become united under a certain kind of music. That's what rock and roll has always been. And um, this form of music just kind of represents uh, the next generation, like the under 21 kind of people relate to this music. It's like their own music. The basic difference is that as far as like um, our self-liberation is concerned, we had a lot less trouble to go through because a lot of a lot of things that people have to go through to deliberate um, themselves or deliberate the masses have been done and we just kind of picked up on where they left off and we kind of saved a lot of trouble by that. I guess we are a New York phenomenon and we people relate to us as New Yorkers and as you know we represent like a certain um, generation of, of boys from New York. That's the voice right there of David Johansson lead singer, front man of the New York Dolls, an American rock band formed in New York City in 1971. Along with the Velvet Underground and the Stooges, they were one of the first bands of the early punk rock scene. And although their original lineup fell apart quickly due to, uh, well, heroin, let's just, let's just make it quick here, the band's first two albums, New York Dolls, 1973, and Too Much Too Soon, released in 74, became among the most popular cult records in rock. And the lineup at this time comprised of vocalist Joe Hansen, guitarist Johnny Thunders, bassist Arthur Kane, guitarist and pianist Sylvain Sylvain, and drummer Jerry Nolan. The latter two uh, replacing Ricky Rivets and Billy Mercia, respectively, in 1972. On stage, these guys donned an androgynous wardrobe, wearing high heels, eccentric hats, and satin, every man's favorite. Nolan described the group at the time as the dead-end kids of today. I'm going to play you a few tracks just off their first record, the self-titled New York Dolls 1973 release, Trash.
you call your lover boy? Try it! Pick it up! New York Dolls predated the punk and glam metal movements movements, and were one of the most influential rock bands of the last 20 years. I mean, heck, they influenced Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren to go back to uh, the UK and uh, start up a, a punk band of his own. And that was the Sex Pistols, and basically that's the heart of every uh, thing that we're doing on this show, if you want to get down to it. Also influenced Kiss, The Ramones, Guns N' Roses, The Damned, and the Smiths, to name a few. The Smiths, whose frontman Morrissey, in fact, organized a reunion show for the New York Dolls' surviving members in 2004. We're going to keep it going off their first LP, the self-titled Somebody's Looking for a Kiss. I don't know if uh, you got it for them. I'll leave that up to you. When I say I'm in love, you best believe I'm in love, L-U-V. Looking for a kiss Well, won't you tell me why those kids are moving so slow Is it that they just don't have a place to go When the day starts breaking, the sun is gonna shine It's hard to sleep if I'm in trying Yeah. 
mama looking for a kiss When everyone's going to your house to shoot up in your room Most of them are beautiful but so obsessed with glue Just looking for a kiss Looking for a kiss. Well, that sounds hot, huh? You got to take a look at these guys. Get on YouTube and look up the New York Dolls. Uh, good one. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, their Jet Boy performance on uh, Top of the Pops. Good stuff there. That's a good uh, representation. Check it out. They got a lot of other great stuff, too. You just got to see what these guys look like. Now they move around on stage. I'm going to keep it going right here with the New York Dolls. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Well, it all started off with, um, I met Arthur on McDougal Street. He came up to me and said, hey, uh, I hear you play um, bass. It started, it started when I met, um, you liar. I met no, Arthur no, on no, McDougal. No, that's not how it started. It started all back in good old Queens. Can I have a cigarette now? Why don't you guys tell the story? I'll sleep. Johnny was lead singer. Lead guitarist. Everybody makes the band with the... Um, I don't know. Who's Sue? Nah, Sue wasn't in it. Rick Rivers got uh, too lazy, so we got him. Yeah, Rick Rivers refused to show up for rehearsal. And then I couldn't I sing anymore. My voice time. my voice went, you know, it didn't last too long, you know. I was really young and I couldn't sing. What? Now I can I sing. Would. And we got David. Well, how'd you find David? How, well, Billy found David. <laughs> Billy found David, you know. We used to know David, you know, we used to see each other all the time. And, you know, we used to never talk to each other. I never knew he was a singer, so Billy brought him over to my house. And uh, I said, I said, you a singer? I didn't know you were a singer. He said, you're a guitar player. And that's what we did. I didn't know you were a guitar player. And then how'd you find Sil? Sil, uh, we knew Sil, me and Sil and Billy used to be in a band. I was the bass player, and they kicked me out. <laughs> so I hated those guys. I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> they kicked me out because I was a creep. <laughs> and then how did Jerry came from Scary what? David? Jerry? Yeah. Oh, we knew Jerry. I knew Jerry for years. So you all knew, we all knew each other, Jerry. like, from the same neighborhood? Well, we, no, like, we didn't know each other. We all like, just, like... We knew each other just... We never talked history. to each other. We were too from snobby visual. to talk to each other. Just yeah. visually. Always checking each other out. <laughs> hey, man, where'd you get those vines? I mean, Jerry used to check us all out. That's the New York Dolls in their own words. Continuing on, personality crisis.
Wrapping up the New York Dolls set here. Uh, immediately after their breakup, Johansson began a solo career. And by the late 1980s, he achieved moderate success under the pseudonym Buster Poindexter. You guys remember that one? Hot, hot, hot. Definitely, uh, definitely a sidestep from the Dolls stuff. Um, also, not everybody knows this, but uh, Johansson was, uh, was a movie star in the movie um, Scrooged, the Bill Murray classic. He played the, uh, the cab driver, the ghost of Christmas past. Yep, that's David Johansson of the New York Dolls. Just sands the dress and heels and all that good stuff. Um, also, uh, Johnny Thunders and Nolan formed the Heartbreakers with bassist Richard Hell. He had left television the same week that Thunders and Nolan left the Dolls. And then uh, a bunch of music and party and heroin in between all that. And then 1991, to sum it all up, Thunders died in New Orleans, allegedly of an overdose of both heroin and methadone. That's quite the combo. It also came to light that he suffered from T-cell leukemia, and Nolan died in 1992 following a stroke brought about by bacterial meningitis. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of a sad end, I'm sorry to say. But, you know what, they cranked out some good tunes in the meantime. They just, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle caught up to them. What are you going to do? Um, but we're going to go out with one last track here and then get right into the next artist spotlight. Stay tuned. This is my favorite right here. Jet Boy.
up the New York Dolls there and Jet Boy off their self-titled debut LP and I'm gonna get right into it uh, moving on to this next artist check this out Iggy Pop is considered to be the originator of what is called punk rock today Iggy and the Stooges I want a lot out of life and I want a lot out of an audience There goes Iggy right into the crowd. Bob, I've never seen anything like this before. An act of the new generation. There was something to Jimmy that I hadn't seen in rock and roll. Makeup and costumes were bizarre. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. Their influence was tremendous. He never sold out. He's indestructible in that way. And if that ain't punk rock, I don't know what is. Eggy wanted to do something that was totally different. The reason I was really in it was to try to create a type of music that could explode me like a rocket out of the type of life that I, was planned for me. He wanted to start a band with my brother and myself. All right, this is indeed what's going on. The Stooges, also known as Iggy and the Stooges, were an American rock band from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Active first from 1967, originally as the Psychedelic Stooges. It's in 1974, and then they re- they later reunited in 2003. A big concert in Detroit, if you remember that one. And although they sold few records in their original incarnation and often performed for indifferent or hostile audiences... The Stooges are widely regarded as the instrumental, as instrumental in the development of punk rock, as well as influential to alternative rock, metal, music, and rock music at large. All right, I'm going to get right into it. going to play you music off the Stooges' three records, and uh, we're going to start it off with their self-titled LP, The Stooges, 1969. Oh, yeah. Another year with nothing to do 
another year for me and you Another year with nothing to do Iggy Pop, born James Newell Osterberg, 1947 in Michigan. He played drums in several Ann Arbor area bands as a teenager, including the Iguanas and later the Prime Movers. The Prime Movers nicknamed Osterberg Iggy in reference to his earlier band. Uh, Pop was first inspired to form the Stooges after meeting blues drummer Sam Lay during a visit to Chicago. And he returned to Detroit with the idea that simply copying established blues performers was not enough. He wanted to create a whole new form of blues music. And brothers Ron Ashton, guitar, 
and Scott Ashton on drums, and their friend Dave Alexander playing bass composed the rest of the band. And, of course, Iggy Pop is the main singer, and then some. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and keep going with uh, their first record here. Here's another one for you. It wasn't long before the Stooges gained a reputation for their wild, primitive live performances. Pop especially won fame for his outrageous on-stage behavior, smearing his bare chest with hamburger meat and peanut butter, also cutting himself with shards of glass and flashing his genitalia to the audience. The perfect storm for a good show, if you ask me. Pop is also sometimes credited with the invention of popular or the popularization of stage diving. In 68, the Stooges were contracted by Elektra Records, which had sent DJ-slash-publicist Danny Fields to scout the MC5. 
He ended up contracting both acts, and the next year the band released their self-titled debut album. Though it did not sell very well, nor was it well received by critics at the time. And legend has it that half of the album, which was produced by former Velvet Underground bassist John Cale, was written the night before the first session. How about that? I got one more off the Stooges' first record, No Fun.
the second album, Funhouse, followed in 1970, which featured the addition of saxophonist Steve McKay. And many consider consider this album to be the best represent <laughs> best representation of the Stooges. I know it's my favorite record of theirs, uh, as the main goal of the album was to represent the manic energy of their live performances. On June 13th of that year, television recorded the band at the Cincinnati Pop Festival. You can find this footage on YouTube for sure. Uh, while performing the songs TVI in 1970, Pop leapt into the crowd where he was hoisted up on people's hands and proceeded to smear peanut butter all over his chest. Uh, this footage is often featured in punk documentaries, uh, documentaries on the Stooges, on Iggy Pop. It's pretty, pretty famous stuff. Um, and uh, Funhouse, like the debut album, was poorly received by both the general public and the critics, but who cares because it's awesome. Here's the first track.
You're listening to the Stooges. This is Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Gonna keep it going right here. What do you know? Rock Life caught up to the Stooges after the release of Funhouse, and uh, they had a breakup period, and uh, did eventually get back together, and uh, with a well, Dave Alexander ended up being excused from the band uh, for good, but they uh, brought in James Williamson, who ended up playing guitar, 
And uh, Iggy did bring back the Ashton brothers, uh, though Ron did switch over to bass, which apparently was uh, he wasn't too uh, happy about. But they came together. They built themselves as Iggy and the Stooges, recorded their third album, The Influential Raw Power, in 1973. And at the time, the album was criticized by diehard fans who said that David Bowie, who produced it, had mixed it poorly. Um, but in 97, it was remixed by Iggy and re-released. It would go on to become one of the cornerstones of early punk rock, although the album sold rather poorly and was regarded as commercial fa- failure at the time of the release. A f- familiar song for these guys, but, uh, you know, they're, they're legends. And we're going to hear a uh, little, some words from Iggy. And I'm going to go out uh, with uh, pretty much the driving force for the punk movement. Search and destroy off of raw power. And if we have some more time, I'll squeeze another one in. But make sure you stay tuned for RFN Weekend coming up at the 2 o'clock hour. You're listening to WRFN LP Pasquo Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve. If I didn't make a complete break with the music that was going on now, uh, I wasn't ever going to make it as a musician. So we had to stop, stop what was going on and make up something new. And the answer is it was done with drugs, attitude, youth, and a record collection. You'll find a place called Stoodland. Very soon you'll be. Take one. We're rolling. Take six. Sounds better tonight. Huh? You guys like to hear back and play to that? I don't know where the fuck we are. Take seven. Just take seven. Right. Take twenty-two comments. Out of sight. How's that tempo sound to you? That tempo was fucking great. If anybody had your record, they felt like they were the only person for miles that liked this group and everybody else hated it and didn't get it. And that you were special because of that. <laughs> All right, one of uh, Punk Rock's early anthems. This is Iggy and the Stooges, Search and Destroy, off of Raw Power. You're listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Searches 
You've been listening to Ghost Town with Creepy Steve. Come back next week. I'll be here.